You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hunt. And we are your hosts of this politics and pop culture podcast. It comes out on a monthly basis, so it is only right that we kick this off by discussing how our past months have been. Micah, Mm -hmm. how has your June 2022 been? How has it treated you? Um, It's been pretty good. Um, We Mm -hmm. have this fun thing in Vancouver that we like to call January, which means it's January in June. So it's been very rainy and sad the last couple days. It's been beautifully sunny, so it feels like summer finally. Um, and part of the summer is apparently going to weddings, and I went to one of those this month. And it you're was a, a real grown-up now. I know friends getting married. It's kind of bizarre. And you can just relate to that adult concept of like summer being wedding season because yes. you know, in my job um, as a copywriter, I've had to mention that a lot, and I. <laughs> The whole time I've been typing, I'm like, I am a fraud. I have no experience of wedding season. I have been to the time my auntie got married four years ago. Like, that's it. So Yeah. Um, it was also wild renting a car and being 25, so I didn't have to pay the, like, young driver premiums, which was amazing. Um, but Honestly, I've been waiting for 25 more than, like, drinking age, like, for the, <laughs> the car fees. It feels like more of a victory. It really does. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a lovely month. Um, Tragically, mine was more of a mixed bag. Or I mean, Mm. not tragically, because that's the nature of a mixed bag. There are some euphoric and some tragic elements. Um, My parents came to visit, which I mentioned last episode. So that was Mm -hmm. really, really great. Showing them around the city. I found a new apartment to live in that I'll be moving into next month. Also great. Um, on the negative side, uh, (laughs) the news has been awful. Um, Uh, yes. Yep. And I got COVID. So it (laughs) was a real 50, 50 split there in June, Mm -hmm. but thankfully feeling a lot better now. We are hoping to bring you a podcast that is still timely, but is not dwelling on some of the darker, uh, parts of the news of the moment specifically the overturning of roe v wade but of course we will link resources in our Mm -hmm. show notes because we really do um want to support those causes we just know that there is a lot of info out there and um we'd rather share those voices at the moment so also in june news we need to talk about the things that we read watched and listened to micah what did you read this month um, I read a couple things. Uh, one book that brought me quite a bit of joy and I sped listened to, I guess I didn't read it, um, is The Switch by Beth O'Leary. Um, I read The Flat Share in yes. May, but The Switch is kind of of the same vibe in a way. Um, it's about Lena and her grandmother Eileen who decide to switch lives and um, and Lena moves to up north to the English countryside, and Eileen moves into Lena's London flat with her cool London friends. Um, and like uh, the flat share, it's like fun and cute, and there's like funny scenes, but there's also a depth to it. Um, 
Lena and Eileen are dealing with the loss of Lena's sister and trying to navigate what life looks like after that. Um, so the book has a really beautiful balance of like sweet and emotional. Um, and I would highly recommend. Um, what else did I read? I've also, um, I've been trying to diversify like the kind of reading I'm doing. Um, and so I read Paying the Land by Joe Seiko. Um, it's a, I had a hard time like describing what it is. It's a, like a journalistic graphic novel. So it's a graphic Ooh. novel. It's like illustrated, but it's really a piece of journalism in that um, Joe Seiko like goes and talks to the subjects of his um, writing. And it's really about reporting what's happening there. Um, he has a bunch of books, some about Palestine. Um, this one is about the indigenous people of the Northwest Territories in Canada, who are the Dene people. And it's all about the relationship between um, indigeneity and resource extraction. Um, mm. There's a really big oil um, extraction and mining up north. And there's like very complicated feelings about that when it comes to like who gets to benefit from it and who get who suffers from resource extraction. And this book was really great. It could like provided a good back story of like the relationship between the Dene people and the Canadian government, um, but also provided like a mixed perspective, which is something I, I think often we see in the indigenous perspective kind of made into one kind of homogenous viewpoint. And this really tried to fight against that, which was great. So I would highly recommend his books. They're great. I'm looking forward to reading his books on Palestine. Very intriguing. I also want to diversify the types of books I'm reading. Um, I've been in the Sarah J. Mass universe for a little <laughs> while now, and that is the main thing I read this month. I've been working my way through the Throne of Glass uh, series after reading A Court of Thorns and Roses and Crescent City, which if you've been a regular listener, you would be familiar with me gushing about those. Um, I'm not sure I would gush about Throne of Glass. Uh, <laughs> the series started when Sarah J. Mass was about 16. She started writing it. And Damn. yeah, and it is, I believe, an eight book series, but like there's <laughs> prequel novellas and stuff like that. Uh, so there's a definite evolution throughout. Like the first two, mm -hmm. I kind of did not enjoy at all, but I pushed through to the third and fourth and was like, you know, the story was changing. I was getting something out of it. I think I just need to give it a bit of a rest for a little while because it's really summer in New York now. And I think I need to be reading some like Ellen Hildebrand to just get into the summer vibes. So I've also been thinking of picking up an Ellen Hildebrand for the She's a new one. This oh, year. She does. I haven't read yeah, any. Hotel... I'm very excited. You haven't? No. I um I'm doing a book club though this summer, which has been fun. Um, we read Book Lovers this right. month, which we gushed about or would love book yeah, lovers. Yeah, gushed about last month. And I concur, it's great. Um but yeah, I'm thinking an Ellen Hildebrand is the next book we should pick up for sure. Yeah, I really want to go back and sort of just do the whole back catalog because <laughs> I think almost every book of hers that I've read, and it's, I think I've only read about four of them and there's 20 or something, um, I have listened to as an audiobook. And they're mm. just like really fun listens. Um, 
I know she has the Hotel Nantucket that's coming out or has come out this year. And then everyone raves about the Blue Bistro. So that one's definitely Ooh. on my list. But I also have a reserve on The Beach Club, I believe it's called. And that's her first ever novel. So I'm hoping to get through a few more this summer. I actually think I've read like two of her books already this year. And I quite enjoy them. Yeah. So yeah, love a bit of Ellen. Uh, what about watching? Did you get to watch much in June? Um, I did. I think we both are like top movies of this month are the same. Um, okay. Top Gun. AKA the best movie ever. Um, I may have watched it twice this month. So really oh, like so full in on the Top Gun. <laughs> oh, I, it, this is such a strange one because I feel like people who haven't seen it are sort of like, are they really just like remaking Top Gun or like what's with like, uh, we don't like Tom Cruise, do we? And I'm like, both of those things do feel strange, but I need you to know this is the best movie I've ever seen. It's so yeah, freaking fun. It's a perfect sequel, right? Oh, yeah. It has, like, an emotional connection to the last movie, but expands on it. The action is real. It's real planes. It looks so cool. Um, I was literally on the edge of my seat for about 15 minutes. Like, I don't think I took a breath for a full 15 yeah. minutes. It was a lot. Thrilling. Just, like, an experience it's great um go see it in the movie theaters you Um, must go see it in the movies you cannot see it anywhere else this is like if i catch anyone watching this on their phone in the future it's a big no this must be seen on an extremely large screen oh for sure it's also spawned my favorite game which is is the mustache a top gun stash or a uh a stash they've had for a while yes top gun stash um, it's a fun game to play with uh, your loved ones as oh, you exist. For in the sure. World. I think like everyone went to the movie and was like, okay, so Miles Teller is like the hottest thing ever. Yes. Um, do and I we like all one need to- a Miles Teller stash? Yeah. And everyone's like, do I want to be him or bang him? And depending on your ability to grow a mustache, that's what you're doing. That yes. really feels like it. Yeah. Um, great movie. Great time. Um, yeah. The other movie I watched in June is of a similar vein. It's also like a blockbuster, um, making much money, costing a lot of money. Um, it's RRR, which is the most expensive Indian movie ever made. Um, and it's a three and a half hour long epic about Indian resistance to British imperialism. And you might think to yourself, three and a half hours, that's so long. Apparently, that's short for an Indian movie. Wow. So, uh, yeah, count yourself lucky. Um, But every single minute is fantastic. It's like Top Gun in that way of, like, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, And the the, the mastery of these actors, you have to be, like, a triple threat. You have to be able to – or a quadruple threat. You have to be able to dance, sing, act, and do, like, these intense action scenes at the same time. Um, there's also, like, not the best CGI, but there are CGI tigers and other animals, which is fun. Um, I love that. I think what I, like, loved about it was that it was, like, deeply engaging and, like, kind of gets to the core of, like, what entertainment is, but it also, like, had a very distinctive Indian perspective, um, specifically in that, like, I don't think I've ever seen in my entire life the British be treated like Nazis are treated in American cinema, like just evil and like bad people, which they were. 
Um, but you never get to see that from a, like an Anglo cinema perspective. Mm. Um, and it was so kind of refreshing to see another way of like understanding history. Um, and like, like the British are evil in this movie and it's kind of wonderful to get, see them just kind of murdered willy nilly by the, the Indian resistance. Um, it's great. Amazing. So, yeah, I recommend. I'm gonna add that to my list. Just just for the like anti-British. A little bit. Vibes. A little yeah. bit. Yep. Yeah. Um. Great. A little bit. I can put it on while I'm working or something if I don't have mm. a solid three hours to dedicate. If you have like 20 minutes to dedicate to watching things, I highly recommend the other two. Uh, it is an HBO show about a deadbeat deadbeat brother and sister in their late 20s whose younger brother becomes like the new Justin Bieber. Um, So just like a super funny show. There's it's, it's really short. There is two seasons, like maybe 10 episodes per season. And each one's about 20 minutes long. It is really funny. Like the references are just so incredibly specific and honestly feel like the kind of things me and my friends would write like they're whoever's writing it is like very tuned into like a specific type of humor but it's also super heartfelt i think it kind of um exposes a lot of like the realities behind um child fame in a funny way and the family dynamics are really beautiful and i had literally never heard of it until last week but i am kind of obsessed with it now so is there anyone that we would recognize in it yes molly shannon plays the mom um and then there are like a lot of guest appearances throughout so they have a lot of celebrities show up but like a very specific level of fame like (laughs) there's a recurring joke about like them really wanting to meet alessia cara which just mm-hmm. feels like so specific and like such a niche level of fame. Um, so definitely like celebrity appearances along that level, but nice. really, really funny. Highly recommend. Um, so last but not least listening, we said last month that we would be listening to the new Harry Styles album. We just happened to be recording the day that it was released we are proud to announce we have listened to the new Harry Styles mm-hmm. album, Harry's House. And we love the new Harry Styles album, Harry's House. It's very it good. is great. Have you got a favorite song, Micah? Um, do I have a favorite song? I don't know if I do. I do have um I I I have to say this is probably not a controversial opinion that the um Music for Sushi Restaurant, horrible name. Why would you call it that? Is that what it's called? I can yeah. never remember to you. It's a bad name, but that is constantly stuck in my head all the time, forever. Yes, I kind of wake up every morning like, Music for Sushi Restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, as it was, the lead single is just oh, yeah. still, it's I think, great. his best song ever. He was like, yeah, I really like the Lost Strokes album and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love Daylight, and I really like the James Corden video where they try and make a music video for it for like $300. Um, love it. So big, th- nice. big thumbs up to Harry from us. Welcome to politics. It has been a month. Um, yeah. 
an interesting month. One of those kind of the world revolves around the U.S. months. Um, that is hard to kind of avoid. And I like I was thinking of like interesting things to talk about. And ironically, it's been a really wonderful month for the Supreme Court of Canada. They've made some great decisions, but I didn't. It felt like rubbing it in your face. Um, if I mentioned we talked about those, so we won't. Um, instead, we're going to talk about ice cream because we all love ice cream. Ice cream, um, you scream. We all scream for ice cream. There you go. As the saying um, goes. So, so I thought we'd talk about ice cream and boycotts. Um, there's a really long history of boycotting as a political tool. Um, and this year, I think a lot of what we've talked about of like companies boycotting places has been Russia. So like McDonald's and H&M and Starbucks have all cut ties in different ways to Russia because of the uh, war in Ukraine. That is still ongoing, though it feels like it's on the back burner right now in all of our minds. Um, another really famous example of boycotts is the BDS movement, which is the Boycott, Divest, and Sanction movement. And that's a movement that um, is uh, pro-Palestinian people and is attempting to bring attention to the kind of the human rights and territorial abuses of the Israeli state. Um I guess this is less con- more controversial than ice cream as a concept. Um, but welcome to politics. Um, unlike Russia, um, where everyone was kind of like, yes, we should boycott. And I knew people who weren't drinking Coke until Coke decided to boycott Russia. Um, BDS is rather controversial. I don't know if you heard about that. Um, and not everyone really agrees that boycotting is the correct move, or even that Israel is doing anything wrong. Fun fact, the BDS movement is actually illegal in many counties in the U.S., as well as many states. Um, for states, there's a law against like saying that a company is boycotting the um, Israel, but then there's like on the county level, the these weird rules where like individuals can boycott Israel. And I like still, I need a lawyer to explain to me how you make it a crime to not buy something regardless. Um, Many companies, um, one way that they participate in the BDS movement is to stop um, having operations that are set up in the West Bank. Um, The West Bank is what was formerly... Um, part of it still is, but was formerly a Palestinian territory, which Israel has been occupying for a while um, since the 60s and has kind of encroached more and more into what is internationally recognized by the UN as Palestinian territory. Um, The Israelis say that they are not encroaching on Palestinian territory, that what they're doing is legal. Um, many years of complicated wars and history behind that. Um, What ice cream are we talking about? Obviously the best ice cream, just by flavor, uh, Ben and Jerry's. We love it. Yaz and I are big fans of Free Cone Day. Um, Ben and Jerry's is a company. We'll talk about it a little bit. Um, When we say we love Ben and Jerry's, we love the product. Company, ambiguous. They're sometimes a little cringy, which we'll talk about more. Um, as we go on. So last, some background to like what the current controversy is. 
Um, ben and Jerry's has always been quite political. Um, ben and Jerry, the founders, um, founded the company in the 70s in Vermont, in Burlington. Yaz and I have been to the Ben and Jerry's factory because we're very cool. Yeah, yeah, um, it was a very cool day. Yeah, maybe we'll post a picture of, of the Ben and Jerry's factory for you if we can find it in our archives. Yeah, I've definitely gone through a few phones since then, so we'll have yes. to dig something up. We'll see. Um, they've kind of always had a social element of the company. So in 1985, they set up the Ben and Jerry's Foundation that took 7.5% of the company's pre-tax annual profits and started funding community-oriented projects. Um, but they've also been like really political in other ways. They've always su- supported the worldwide fund for nature, doing different things like reef safe stuff, but also supporting specific animals. They were vocal supporters of Occupy Wall Street back in the day. Um, they have also um, supported uh, migrants and asylum seekers across Europe. And they've also done a couple like I want, I don't want to call them marketing stunts, but like different things specifically involving ice cream to support causes. Um, one example is that in 2017, they refused to scoop two of the same flavors um, together. So if you wanted two scoops, you couldn't get the same flavor in Australia as a protest um, against the ban of same-sex marriage. So if you're going to ban... That feels confusing almost. It like, does. I, I would just almost think you can't have two... Yeah, but I I also feel like if you wanted to be like, you can love someone of the same sex that you would actually be pro scooping two things together. But I guess you're talking about the fact that that's not possible. I don't know. It feels a little murky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That feels confusing. Um, You may have also noticed that in the past they've done like special flavors that are political. Um, uh, Like one that comes to mind is they had a flavor called pecan resist, which was Mm. in opposition to the Trump presidency. Um, I think they had like a Black Lives Matter flavor as well. Um, This stuff comes off as cringy, I guess, in some circles, and that like, it's an ice cream flavor. How much is it doing to um, help? But they've also been very vocal outside of ice cream flavor naming. And See, that's why I would kind of argue that this is almost okay, because the company has like a long history of actually Mm -hmm. backing it up. Like, it doesn't feel like they're you know, trying to do, like, obligatory, you know, the post the black square on Instagram thing. Like, it feels like they have a history of activism, and I guess they're doing some sort of, like, tie-ins with ice cream. But I feel better about this than companies like Disney, who, you know, support Mm -hmm. anti-LGBTQ plus, like, politicians and causes, and then post, like, a picture of Mickey holding a rainbow flag and are like, everyone's welcome at Disneyland, Florida or whatever, you know? Yeah. I'm sure. I think of the companies that are attempting to be political, Ben and Jerry's is walking the walk um, as well as talking the talk. They do talk. It feels more authentic. It it does. Um, Recently they've been very prolific on Twitter. They use like the company Ben and Jerry's Twitter account to tweet about different politics as an example Um, after the January 6th insurrection, which we've been hearing a lot about in the news recently, um, they tweeted, yesterday was not a protest, it was a riot to uphold white supremacy, which is, like, 
pretty strong words, mm-hmm. especially at the time. Um, now we know that this may in fact be the case. Um, we have more evidence after the last kind of month of <clears throat> trials. So what about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Um, ben and Jerry's has been operating in Israel since 1987 um, and have kind of had pro-Palestinian remarks, but hadn't really, they were still operating in Israel and specifically the factory where that was producing, or not the factory, they were, the ice cream was being distributed to the West Bank, um, Hmm. which is a no-go if you say you support BDS and the Palestinian people. Um, And in summer 2021, so last year, the board of Ben and Jerry's announced they were no longer um, selling ice cream in occupied Palestine, in fact, in all of Israel, because it was inconsistent with their values. Hmm. Um, What did this mean practically? It meant terminating the contract of the local supplier um, early. It was supposed to expire at the end of 2022, but they cut it off a year and a half early. Um, This got a lot of press because it's Ben and Jerry's, but also because it's Israel. Um, The minister, prime minister of Israel, Naftali Bennett, um, said that this was a bad business decision and that it was a morally wrong thing to do. Um, At the same time, the Palestinian leaders of the BDS movement said it was a decisive step towards ending the company's complicity in Israel's Israel's occupation and violation of Palestinian rights. Um, so all well and good, they do BDS. No, is no Ben and Jerry's has been sold in Israel for the last year ish. Um, however, there's a little bit of a problem, and it's that Ben and the board of Ben and Jerry's does not own Ben and Jerry's. Uh, ben and Jerry's has been owned by Unilever since 2000. Mm. Um, and while part of that deal is that they get to have an independent board that dictates the social mission of the company, Unilever like actually owns the ice cream and the recipes and the uh, right to distribute. Um, you may have heard of Unilever before. Uh, it's a multinational company that owns many of your favorite products. Um, they own ice cream, many, many ice creams, including Breyers and Magnum. They also own Hellman's, as in the mayo, um, Marmite for our British friends, also Lipton tea. Um, They also own things like Dove and Axe and St. Ives and Vaseline. They own a lot of stuff. Um, A lot. And they also are very controversial as a company, as you would be um, existing in the system we exist in and being that big. Um, They've been called out for um, causing deforestation in their harvesting of palm oil, um, they have not once but twice been fined for price fixing in Europe. Um, what is price fixing? It's when you – what is it exactly? It's when you um, artificially um, control the price of a – like a good – so like mm-hmm. bread fixing is a common one um, that costs – you conspire to – increased costs to the consumer with um, like others so we, in the industry yes oh okay it's um, so like a big one in that's that's how i understand it it's kind of like a it's basically scamming people and it's usually about food so in canada we had this bread big bread fixing 
um, scandal where one of the biggest grocery stores like caught like made bread more expensive for their personal gain. In- Interesting. Which, like is unfair to um, consumers. I feel like there's. I feel like there's something like that going on in the home goods market because as I am shopping for my new apartment, I'm realizing that rugs, frames, mirrors, Mm -hmm. and like bins, like recycling bins or like trash cans or whatever you want to call them. Why are those things all so expensive? Like why are mirrors so much more expensive than like other bits of glass? Or why is like a trash can so much more expensive than like a storage bin? Like it's the same thing. I don't get it. So... Just a little conspiracy theory for everyone there. Back to uh, Unilever, my good. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Unilever has done many bad things. Um, it kind of embroiled in controversy. In this case, um, they decided to walk back Ben and Jerry's decision to no longer sell the product in Israel, sort of. Um, so hmm. they decided to sell the Israeli manufacturing and distribution of Ben and Jerry's to um, American Quality Products, which was the company that was doing this distribution beforehand. And so Ben and Jerry's will sort of be sold in Israel. It'll be the same recipe and flavors and like all of that. And it'll have similar packaging, but it won't say Ben and Jerry's. Um, it'll say like Unilever. Jen and Berries or something like it, that. It'll <laughs> say whatever the um, Arabic and Hebrew translation is. Or it'll have a new name, I guess. Um, and Unilever and Ben & Jerry's, the company, will no longer profit from the selling of its products in Israel. Um, so they made this decision for a couple of reasons. One, um, American quality products were suing them um, because they had breached contract by ending it a year and a half early. Um, And then they also faced, like, a lot of pressure from shareholders at Unilever who um, had pro-Israeli sentiments, but also a bunch of U.S. politicians were threatening to use those anti-BDS laws to sue Unilever. So DeSantis in Florida put Unilever on a companies-to-watch list, um, and so they were being investigated, essentially, or like being threatened to be investigated. So um, because then they wouldn't be able to convince the Ben and Jerry's board to like change their minds. The solution was to sell yes. to American quality products. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, so Ben and Jerry's is the product is getting sold in Israel, but no longer under the name. Right. Um, and there was like a, kind of a diverse reaction to this. Um, Mr. Zinger, or Zinger, who owns um, American Quality Products, which has the word American in it, but he is Israeli. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that there is no place for discrimination in the commercial sale of ice cream. Um, It has always been important to me to ensure that all customers, no matter their identity, are free to enjoy Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Um, In a similar vein, the foreign minister um, Lapid said, anti-Semitism will not defeat us, not even when it comes to ice cream. We will fight delegitimization in the BDS campaign in every arena, whether in the public square, in the economic sphere, or in the moral realm. The Ben and Jerry's factory in Israel is a microcosm of diversity of Israeli society. Today's victory is a victory for all those who know that the struggle against BDCDS is, first and foremost, a struggle for partnership, dialogue, and against discrimination and hate. Um, That's one side. 
Um, on the other hand, Ben and Jerry's from their prolific uh, Twitter account and I think <laughs> from the board directly um, said, while our parent company has taken this decision, we do not agree with it. We continue to believe it is inconsistent with Ben and Jerry's values for our ice cream to be sold in the occupied Palestinian territory. Our company will no longer profit from Ben and Jerry's in Israel, they clarified. Um, this, like we see like a lot of different like language being used by both, I don't want to say both sides, but yeah, both sides. Um, in these statements, we see um, like calls about discrimination and anti-Semitism, um, delegitimization, stuff like that from one side. But on the other side, we see like the phrase occupied Palestinian territory, which is something you'd never see someone from Israel say um, or pro-Israel say. And it kind of is a reflection of the dynamics of this politics right now um in israel but also more importantly in the not importantly but also more specifically in the u.s um the debate has been polarized to this kind of if you support israel you're um anti-semitic um but if on one side on the other side bds is also trying to make these human rights claims um and it gets very muddied very quickly. Um, I am no expert in this and cannot parse it further for you, but it is important to like recognize this language and like where these people are coming from um, and like why people are using this language. And there's a long history of it. And I will um, endeavor to link, actually have friends who have written some really smart things about this. So I will link those in our description. Um, to conclude, I guess, Ben and Jerry's didn't get their way in this scenario. Um, there's still going to be ice cream in Israel. Um, but it is really interesting how these dynamics play out, and specifically how like American politics has an effect on Middle Eastern politics and Israeli-Palestinian politics. Um, and always like a really important thing to keep an eye out on, that it's not like isolated to like that place over there. It's uh, it's important to remember that it's a global issue that um, is affected like throughout the world. Moving on to the pop culture segment of the show actually kind of ties in because I want to talk about uh, famous brands this month. Um, in June, we saw Hailey Bieber launching her new skincare brand, Road, and that got me thinking all about celebrity product lines, from their history to what they mean for various industries. So we're not necessarily going to be talking about merchandise or endorsements. I actually mean like products that celebrities have had a hand in creating or at least claimed to have had a hand in creating. Mm -hmm. It's obviously difficult to place where exactly this began, like what was the first celebrity product line, because it's so hard to define like what counts as a celebrity and that definition changes yeah. for different groups of people. But one of the earliest dates I could find was 1850, and that was related to a yeah. celebrity clothing line. So I thought that's the industry we would start with. So clothing, 1850. Swedish opera singer Jenny Lind sold branded gloves, bonnets, shawls, and more at her shows. And this feels like a little merchy still. Yeah. So um, I think like the 
a, a very early example of like a true product line would actually be the 1910s when ballroom dancer and silent film star Irene Castle, who was credited with popularizing the bob haircut, just as a funny aside, uh, started her celebrity fashion line and it was sold under her name and credited to her design input. And that really set a precedent. In more modern examples, we had the 1960s people, you know, everyone from Twiggy to the Beatles in the UK creating their own product lines um, in the clothing and apparel industry. And nowadays we really have everyone making them. You know, we've got Madonna, Drake, Outkast, Justin Timberlake, Avril Lavigne, Eminem. If you can think of someone, they've probably got like a celebrity clothing line. And I think that kind of brings up one of the main problems that people have with celebrities in the fashion industry is how much input they actually have. They're saying Mm -hmm. that it's their company, their designs, but often, you know, they're owned by a huge parent company. Um, You know, as you said, with Ben and Jerry's and Unilever, parent companies are like a a big thing. So there is often like not actual ownership. Um, And then a question of just how involved they are in the design and production process. And this kind of came to a head in 1996 when it was revealed that presenter Kathy Lee Gifford's line of clothing, which was sold at Walmart, was being made using sweatshop labor. And this was obviously a huge scandal. Mm -hmm. And she was forced to go on TV and admit that she actually wasn't involved in the production. She had no awareness of the sweatshop labor. And although this, like, is, I guess, a good thing because you wouldn't, you know, she's able to be like, I had no knowledge of this. You're also admitting that you did not actually design the products. Um, Mm -hmm. So this makes things harder for actual designers when you have celebrities kind of taking up this space. In 2007, designer Vera Wang admitted to the New York Times that she thought celebrities have made it harder for real designers. And, you know, when you think about it, if you think of the sheer number of students coming out of fashion schools who would love a chance to design their own label and have success with it, but are kind of stuck doing the fashion equivalent of ghostwriting for celebrities, you know, you're designing these things and then you're turning on your TV and you're having someone come in and say they actually sketched the dress or they're vaguely speaking about how much of an input they've had in the design when really it is someone who has gone to school for a really long time are putting in a lot a lot of hard work and are kind of not really getting the credit and they're not really having the opportunities to do things their way or really getting to you know um stretch their creative muscles but when celebrities do have a genuine passion for design and are actually involved in it it can be really great so mm-hmm. we an early example of this was in the 1970s when heiress gloria vanderbilt became an early developer of designer blue jeans and she was like able to transition into being seen and known as a designer more than anything else that became her thing and in more recent years, we've had celebrities like, for example, Victoria Beckham and the Olsen twins who've moved exclusively from industries like music and acting to fashion design mm-hmm. and are, you know, pretty well respected in the industry. So definitely a little bit of a mix there of how celebrity fashion lines um, affect others and are received in the world. 
But it did get me thinking, have you ever bought celebrity designed clothing? Mm, have I? I don't think so. I also, it's interesting to see like how much they put their face on them. I didn't realize Good American was Kardashian until embarrassingly recently really um, yeah, yeah i don't know why i just heard like mm-hmm. they're good jeans and that was it yeah yeah that is chloe kardashian's one um speaking about the kardashians i remember like kendall and kylie having a pack sun line back in the day honestly it might oh, still yeah. exist and that was like kind of the thing for a certain uh time period there i definitely remember that one being a big deal but even like as recently as the past couple of years dixie and charlie d'amelio's hollister line um Mm -hmm. is quite sought after and yeah i guess you just got a question like how much these people are (laughs) actually Actually involved involved in it yeah another big industry for celebrity product lines is fragrance um so i will link to a really great substack article from an account called incense and auris that does a big old deep dive into uh, celebrity perfumes but most people sort of believe that celebrity fragrance lines began with sophia loren's sophia perfume which launched in 1980 and then the next big advances were Cher and elizabeth taylor launching their iconic fragrances in the 80s but Again, to move to more modern examples that we would be kind of like familiar with, uh, the next one to really make a splash was Glow by Jennifer Lopez, which launched in 2002. Um, It launched at Trump Tower specifically Mm. and made $100 million in its first year. Oh my God. Yeah. And that really kickstarted the explosion of the early noughties celebrity perfumes, which I think is kind of what most of us would associate celebrity perfumes with being. So that was like Britney's fantasy and circus perfumes. There Mm -hmm. was Sarah Jessica Parker's perfume. There was Katy Perry's one that like looked like a little cat with like diamond eyes. Yes. And I think the idea of celebrity perfumes, at least for a while, got very locked into this era. You know, they were in these gaudy, sparkly bottles. And while that was all well and good at the time, eventually it kind of just became a little bit uncool to wear a celebrity perfume. Um, Also, they, you know, were accused of not smelling great. And they were also (laughs) in like a much lower price bracket than other kind of like well-respected perfumes, you know, very different from like a Chanel Number five, for example, most celebrity perfumes are like under $50. So U.S. sales began dropping steadily since 2011, and U.K. sales dropped around 22% in 2016 alone. So this was kind of around the same time as the rise of social media, which was when we were ushering in a new type of fame, you know, new ways to connect with celebrities and a totally different aesthetic. Like all of a sudden this kind of like blinged out 2000s thing was not as cool anymore. And it became more about paired back visuals. Um, Kim Kardashian, of course, was able to launch a successful perfume after this era, but hers were based mm. on very different styling. It was this like minimalist body bottle and it was all about something that would look like chic in your home or i guess chic in like kim kardashian's iconic incredibly white stark um home 
But, you know, there's also been this kind of 2000s revival that we are living in. So when the reboot of Sex and the City was announced in February 2021, sales of Sarah Jessica Parker's perfume saw a massive jump. And when the Framing Britney Spears documentary aired also last year, sales for her perfumes increased by 155%. Damn. Yeah. So while there was definitely a dip there, celebrity perfumes are kind of back. And journalist Chandler Burr has said that perfume is the single best tool for monetizing celebrity that's ever been created in the history of the world. So essentially, celebrity perfumes have been deemed like too big to die. They Mm -hmm. had a little dip, but they have managed to come back again because I guess who can resist the pull of a $45 bottle that apparently Kim Kardashian uses. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite celebrity perfume? Is there one you liked back in the day? I know I was definitely a Circus by Britney Spears fan. Nice. I did not wear perfume. Um, Oh, you have sensitivity. I do have sensitivity. I did when Billie Eilish released her newest album. She released a perfume with it. I just love that bottle. I think it's very cool. It's it like is. good tie-in iconography. Um, yeah, but I would I would not buy just personally. I am a huge fan of uh, One Direction's Our Moment perfume. It uh, always gets me a lot of compliments. I don't currently have a bottle, but like it is, yeah, it's in one of those kind of like tacky, it's like a, a pink liquid in a weird kind of almost like mirror ball type glass mm-hmm. with like a little crown on the top that has like a tool inside. It's like, it's wonderfully tacky, but it smells great. And I get lots of compliments. Um, and as a fun fact in uh, 2018, a store named Puf- Perfumery was opened in New York where customers could blind smell perfumes. And one of the most popular ones was Pitbull's fragrance. So <laughs> they're not all bad yeah they're not all bad so to speak to a more kind of recent phenomenon uh tequila has kind of been the next frontier Mm -hmm. of celebrity product lines again i'm going to link to a great article here it's in the la times and it really dives deep into the tequila industry and celebrities impact on it But this boom really began in 2017 when George Clooney announced that he was selling Casamigos, his tequila brand that he founded five years previously, for a staggering $1 billion. Crazy money. So then we had everybody jumping on the tequila bandwagon. You know, everyone from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Nick Jonas to The Rock, they all have tequila brands. And this is good in a sense, like the other two industries we've spoken on. It definitely, you know, pumps the economy, gets a lot of excitement going. Um, The tequila industry is exclusively based in Mexico. Mexico is the creator of all tequila. And in 2020, the country produced 60 million gallons, which is 800% more than they did two decades ago. So really great for the economy there, really great for the people in the industry. But there are obviously negative sides as well. Um, Farmers have to bulldoze forests to plant more agave to keep up with the demand. And there's also been a lot of talk about appropriation um, Mm -hmm. of practices. One distillery employee speaking to the LA Times said that many celebrities don't grasp what it takes to make tequila. They said, 
They don't understand the earth. They don't understand the raw materials. They don't understand what agave is. They don't understand the resources we have here. And this kind of attitude came to a head again when a Kardashian became involved. (laughs) Kendall Jenner launched her 818 tequila last year. And she was immediately accused of cultural appropriation when her campaign launch video uh, came out. And people also pointed out grammatical mistakes in the Spanish on some of the early labels. But the first batch sold out immediately. So, you know, Kendall did okay. Uh, Gotta ask for this industry, Micah, have you tried a celebrity tequila? I haven't. I'm not a tequila girl, so... Same. I have not tried one, but there is a funny joke in the other two about celebrity tequila brands. So just to plug the show from earlier, um, definitely recommend. Finally, let's loop back and talk about beauty because, you know, obviously we want to touch on Hailey Bieber's brand, but also beauty is arguably the biggest player we have right now. The industry, which includes makeup and skincare, is valued at $511 billion in 2021. And every celebrity wants a piece of that pie. And Mm -hmm. I mean, like, literally every celebrity. I don't mean literally, but almost literally. Like, if you can think of someone, they probably have a beauty brand. We have J-Lo, Kristen Bell, Selena Gomez, Kim Kardashian, Lady Gaga, Halsey, Pharrell, Jessica Alba, Karamo, Millie Bobby Brown, Madonna, Kesha, Gabrielle Union, Jada Pinkett Smith, literally everyone. Which kind of brings us to the first problem, which is oversaturation. You know, at this mm-hmm. point, it kind of just feels lazy and unnecessary to slap your name on a beauty brand. But there are also celebrities who have done some really great work in this space and have actually really like shook up the industry. So for instance, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty brand, um, when that launched, it was applauded for its shade range. It has 50 shades of like concealers and foundation so Mm -hmm. more people can find one that works for them and it is now worth a cool 2.8 billion dollars which is quite crazy um more recently we had tennis player naomi osaka who launched kinlo in 2021 kinlo is a range of sun care products um, and other you know skincare products that are specifically designed for melanated skin Um, because Naomi wanted to combat the myth that people with darker skin tones can't get sunburn or get skin cancer and like therefore don't Mm. need to use sunscreen. Um, It's actually a myth like she herself had believed in and is now pretty passionate about bringing um, people sunscreen, especially, you know, having a white cast on sunscreen is a pretty common complaint. So um, having someone design and be passionate about sunscreens for melanated skin tones is super important. And then that kind of brings us to the launch of Hailey Bieber's line, Road. So she launched it on Instagram this month with this introduction. We are a line of curated skincare essentials made with thoughtful intention. Our formulas nourish your skin barrier to instantly give you dewy, delicious skin while improving its look and feel over time. She also said that it was formulated for sensitive skin and suitable for all skin types. We are vegan, cruelty-free, gluten-free, and we're available fragrance-free. All our products are under $30. And I think this could be interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. these ideas of like the dewy, delicious skin, 
that feels like a little glossier, which uh, apparently we have spoken about on here before. But I also think that how she's positioned this speaks a lot to Gen Z's consumer habits. And we've spoken about this on a previous episode, you know, when we were talking about fast fashion and where we see, um, you know, the buying of that go, we were, we talked about this tension between, you know, seeing people buy mounds of affordable but unethically made Shein clothes and, you know, saying that it's for a TikTok haul or saying that these are more inclusive because they have like a greater size range, um, even though that kind of ignores a lot of other ethical issues with it. But we also have recognized that the generation has a genuine interest in creating a better world. You know, we have things like the school climate protest. There obviously is this kind of like just tension and maybe, you know, it's, it's a lot to kind of, you know, brush a whole generation with the same stroke, but there seems to exist this, uh, this tension. And I kind of think like could thoughtful products at a low price point created by a celebrity who embodies that kind of like naturally pretty TikTok aesthetic be Mm -hmm. what people are searching for here in the beauty space. I guess we will see. Um, at the moment, Haley is currently being sued for trademark infringement by a <laughs> fashion brand named Rode. So uh, the future of the company, I'm sure it'll be fine, but it is in a strange place in its launch month. But yeah, essentially, where does that leave us with these celebrity product lines, with clothing, with perfume, with tequila, with beauty, with it all? Basically, like everything, and especially this past month for a lot of us, a mixed bag. We have, you know, celebrities lazily and often at the detriment of others and the planet creating products simply because they can. Mm -hmm. But we also have certain people who have a genuine interest and talent in their fields that I think should be allowed to follow that passion. You know, like they just because they have had success in one industry, I don't think it's fair to say they're not allowed to try something new if they're going to actually have genuine input in it. So I think where am I coming? uh, Where am I going to conclude with this? Be discerning. Um, For me, I think if I were to purchase a celebrity brand, I would want to see someone who like has a genuine interest in the area. Um, mm. And that's again, why I think like Hailey Bieber could be interesting because she famously has really great skin, you know? Um, so I can see people wanting to buy skincare that she has created. But like, if I didn't like the way someone dressed, I'm not going to buy their clothing um, products. And especially with clothing, it's very easy to see how ethically these things are made or like who is actually involved yeah. in this. So I think like a bit of research, a bit of discernment and just like putting your money where your values are. Like if you like a celebrity, like, yeah, great, support them. But I also think it's like worth looking at who else is involved in this and who else might be affected. Have you got any celebrity product lines on your shopping list, Micah? Oh, I constantly influenced. Um, I keep on looking at JVN's hair products. Yeah. Again, because, like, they have great hair. And when you see them on Queer Eye, they kind of demonstrate an understanding and passion for 
not just their type of hair, but all different types of hair. So yeah. I, I could see that being a really good product line. Yeah, I've been fully influenced by their like marketing. Um, haven't well, I guess not fully because I have yet to purchase. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. I've heard actually great things about Jessica Alba's skincare line, The Honest Company. Um, yeah, yeah, I've tried a couple of those. I I quite like her stuff. Um, and again, like someone who sort of embodies that lifestyle. Like I genuinely yeah. believe that she strives to like create a non toxic home for her and her family, and it's not just lip service to Mm -hmm. that vibe i have to say uh doing this research i am definitely interested in trying out fenty beauty i have not as of yet i know a lot of people who have but i often struggle to find uh concealers in a pale enough shade for me (laughs) so uh i'm interested in checking out her shade range when i've seen it at sephora it's been an impressive rainbow that she's got there very nice yeah yeah so there we have it Alrighty, that brings us to the end of another episode of different things can be sad micah what are you going to get up to in july i am going to um try and appreciate summer as much as possible um i love that for you go on many um i, I really enjoyed a hot girl walk to get a coffee, maybe some flowers, always fun. Um, reading outside, always the best part of summer. Maybe some swimming should be a good time. I'm excited. That sounds beautiful. Um, I think I'm going to go with a similar similar vibe. Uh, the start of the month is going to be busy. We have the 4th of July holiday here in the U.S. I actually have um, a couple friends from Ireland coming to visit for that weekend. So got to show them around. And then, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, I will be moving apartments in July. So that is probably going to take up most of the month and the month after. And Mm -hmm. uh, probably just like my forever online browsing habits. I think I'm going to spend like probably the rest of my life on Facebook Marketplace trying to like track down the perfect dining table. Um, It's a mission, but I'm excited for it. If you would like to keep up with our endeavors, you can follow us on Instagram as at DTCBS podcast. Uh, Promise will be more active lately. We just had a little COVID emergency this month that uh, (laughs) made posting not the most uh, appealing of activities, but we will be back on there. Um, If you want to stalk my move, um, maybe please don't just, you know, casually watch it. Uh, you can do so on Instagram where I am at Yasmin Lomax. Micah, where are you? I am on Instagram as at Micah Hahn. And I guess on Twitter again. So. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Well, maybe not good for me. Twitter is a place. Another mixed bag. Mixed bag is my word yeah. of the month. Yeah. It's a good yeah. one. So with that, we will see you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.